Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And we are back today to preview the Minnesota Gophers coming to the Breslin. Um, but before we get into that, Rod, obviously, uh, it's probably worth going over this uh, postponement um, this weekend at the Michigan game, I would think. Yeah, and I, I would, I, I guess the first thing I was I would say is I would put postponement in quotation marks because if if i had to guess just based on what i've what i've seen schedule wise for both teams and what Izzo said today in his press conference and this is just my guess it's not worth anything more than that i would say the odds of this thing getting rescheduled are no better than 10 percent, and that might be generous <laughs> Um, I don't think they're going to. And, and the reason that I say that, so we'll start with that. Mm. The reason that I say that is it seems very clear that the only way you can do it is by putting one or both teams under extreme circumstances. So like one thing that was talked about, for example, was just inserting this game the day before the already scheduled game at the Breslin on the 29th. So it would be the 28th. They play back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. And Izzo basically said today he doesn't see that there's an obvious way to do this. I take that to mean don't hold your breath. Yeah. So I think that, you know, look, when they put the schedule together last year, they did so – cushioning and providing some cushioning some opportunities it was still rough Uh if you remember how many games michigan state was playing during that run that's that's what made that run at the end of the season even more remarkable than it would have been already Mm -hmm. based on the teams that they beat it was the frequency of games in a short period of time i think they played played four games in eight days something like something crazy like that yeah yep um but uh they didn't do that this year because when the schedules were put together, there wasn't the anticipation that you were going to be dealing with, with this. And, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep, deeply into the, into the COVID, um, the protocol morass. Well, only to say this, I think that it's very clear that not just, not just for basketball, it's the least of our worries, but societally. Mm-hmm. And you're already seeing some things change, and I think uh, there was a statement yesterday by the CDC director that I took as telegraphing more changes coming down the pike. You're going to have to change the way that this thing is viewed in order for society to function. When you're dealing with 
a virus that is this transmissible, mm. you know? Um, and so that, that really is in, in part the problem is that or one part of the problem is that it's so transmissible that you've got people testing positive that aren't really, that aren't really by our pre COVID definition sick. Uh-huh. Now the concern is, well, they can pass it on to other people. And I, I, I get all that, but, I think there are changes on those fronts as well. How long you're actually um, contagious, how long it takes for you to not be considered contagious, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, but I think it's pretty clear that we're going to see changes. There's a lot of telegraphing going on Mm -hmm. at the, at the national level, just even over the last few days that tells me that's likely to happen. Now, I'm not saying that's going to impact sports necessarily, but that is going to come. Specific to this, though, we, we've got a schedule that was not built, was not put together with this thought of having to make games up in mind, whereas last season it was. Mm. So you just don't have, you don't have the flexibility. And, and this is the thing. Uh, from a Michigan State perspective, this is how I've I've posted this a couple of times on the Spartan Mag board. This is how I would view it if I were Michigan State. The game was scheduled. Michigan State showed up as scheduled, ready to play. Michigan canceled it. That's it. The end. Hmm. And I, and I say that because Michigan State doesn't need this game. Michigan needs it desperately. It's it's the one thing that I. You know, I, I've seen a lot of people believing that Michigan intentionally manipulated things to cancel this game. Um, and maybe, I can't say definitively that's not true, but it doesn't pass common sense from this perspective. Michigan desperately needs wins over good teams because they don't have any. Mm-hmm. right now and and they also postponed the Purdue game that was scheduled for Tuesday so they've now lost two, and they're going to have just as from what I understand just as if not a tougher time finding a way to reschedule that one as they are with Michigan State so let's just assume for argument's sake they just lose both those games that's a loss for Michigan it's a loss because they have no opportunity to win games that they desperately need. And by the way, those were both home games. Those are their best shots against those teams. Yeah. You know, that were, their chances of winning in East Lansing or West Lafayette are, are much, much more reduced. So I don't think this was Juwan Howard or Ward Manuel looking at, looking at this game and decided, oh, we got to do anything we can to get out of this because we're going to I don't I don't buy that. I do think there are really serious problems with the way Michigan is handling their COVID protocol. Mm-hmm. And and there's also one other thing that that needs to be mentioned. As I understand it, and I'm very open to being corrected on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right because Izzo addressed it today in his press conference. There is no Big 10 standard protocol. That is left up to the institutions. 
So the way that Michigan conducts their testing is not necessarily the way Michigan State does it, is not necessarily the way Ohio State does it, and on and on we go. Mm -hmm. That's not good. That's not good because anytime you don't have standardized approaches applying the same way to everybody, I think you run into trouble with this stuff, potentially, with anything. Mm -hmm. But with, with, with this kind of thing in particular, um, I just look at the way this thing unfolded, and I'm sure most all of our listeners already kind of have the timeline in mind, but I'll just remind people of this. So the story, and, and Brendan Quinn at The Athletic had, so far at least, the best piece on this, on the, the chronology of events. Uh-huh. Michigan, as I think people know, had four guys sitting out their previous game against Rutgers. When we got to Thursday afternoon, the word was that at least two of those four were scheduled to be back. Mm-hmm. Now, I took that to mean they had passed whatever the protocol was, which I assume involved testing negative and having a sufficient number of days out from whenever they tested positive. And that does not so, include Zeb Jackson for personal reasons. Right, right, okay. because he's he apparently is leaving the team and transferring. That's what I've that's what's been out there. Okay. Um, so two get two of those four, and one of those four, by the way, was a non-scholarship player, Jaron Folds, the big kid from Holt. Mm-hmm. Um, the three were Collins, um, Williams. Johns, and Williams. Those were the three. So two of those got two of those four. Maybe Folds was one of them. I don't know. But two of those four were scheduled to be back as of Thursday afternoon. Um, Quinn says. Michigan practiced at 3.30. And sometime in that 3.30 to 4 o'clock, sometime in that window of while Michigan was practicing, Michigan State leaves East Lansing. Mm-hmm. Michigan apparently does not communicate anything to Michigan State that there might still be a problem because Michigan State leaves. While Michigan's practicing, apparently one starter, unidentified, I have seen speculation that it is Hunter Dickinson, but it really doesn't matter. Um approached train a trainer and asked for cold medication that kicked in whatever Michigan's protocols are, which apparently does not include stopping practice, but, um, there were tests that were given to them after practice was concluded. that starter tested positive. Now this is where it gets a little, and why I'm talking about protocols mattering. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing was, Quinn says that one of the two guys who was scheduled to come back practiced and had to be pulled from practice partway through. No information as to what the problem was, why, none of it. He did say that they were anticipating both of those players were going to be listed as doubtful for the game. Again, no idea why. We could speculate. the, The easiest thing to imagine is that they didn't have their wind back. Yeah, you know that would make that, sense. That, but, but who knows? Um, regardless, though, if they're, you know, if they're deemed to have passed the protocols, I think that's supposed to count. But we'll put that aside. This was the part that I had some trouble with. So one starter test positive, and according to what Quinn could find out, only one tested positive. There might have been others, but there's no information around that. Mm-hmm. The real problem, though, is that two players were deemed to be close contacts 
of that positive and thus were ruled out. That's where I, and, and further, he said they were both double vaccinated but not boosted. So there's a, a couple things in there. Are you serious? That's not, what he said. They're not boosted? That's, that's what he said. They're not boosted, double vaccinated. So first thing, Izzo addressed this a little bit today. He said everybody on his roster is double vaxxed and boosted. That's what he says. Now, yeah, they, they don't have I to present that. proof of that, but we'll take him at his word, right? Mm-hmm. So then we are left to conclude, well, okay, so at least two guys weren't boosted. But, but the, the first bit to me is, are we now saying definitively that a double vaxxed player for these purposes is deemed to not be fully vaccinated? Because if you are fully vaccinated... I don't believe the close contact protocols work the same way. Basically, the way these guys were treated is as if they were unvaccinated. Because mm-hmm. they didn't, we're not told they had positive tests. We're not told they had symptoms. So we have to assume they didn't. Yeah. But they were ruled out. Why were they ruled out? Because they were close contacts. So that means you're treating them as if they're unvaccinated. But they both, they both players had two shots they just hadn't been boosted so first question is why hasn't michigan boosted everybody that's first thing yeah and then and then the second thing is okay we understand these guys weren't boosted but is that how the protocol works there and is that the way it's working everywhere because i don't think it is you know michigan's free i suppose to do whatever they want in terms of establishing a a health protocol yeah yeah. but it would seem to me if your standard is hey only boosted is going to qualify you as being fully vaccinated in terms of the way we deal with this like close contacts then why don't you have everybody boosted yeah. You know, Izzo made the point. He said there's got to be more transparency on this because we don't know from game to game what we're dealing with with the other team. We don't know if all their guys are vaccinated. I mean, we were still hearing things as recently as December. Memphis had a number of guys who hadn't been vaccinated at all. Mm-hmm. That yeah. came out when guys started going, you know, started testing positive. It came out. Um, so that's just one example of a higher profile program that had this going on. But nobody knew before that. Mm-hmm. They didn't disclose it. They didn't have to. So Izzo's point is we need to get everybody on the same page with this stuff. And I think it's hard to argue with that. That just seems commonsensical, right? Yeah. But, you know, I, so that's that's one thing that I'm kind of troubled by is, okay, is is Michigan dealing with this in a way that's consistent with the way other programs are dealing with it. And if they're not, why not? But then beyond that, I have real questions about the testing. And and it might be that there's a perfectly legitimate answer to this. It might be that they were tested in the morning, everybody was negative, and then they came back for practice and one player tested positive and they ran them through... Uh, they ran everybody through it and, and, you know, got to this result where they had five, only five guys who were able to play. Uh, maybe. 
maybe that's maybe that's exactly what happened but we're not told that all we were told in Quinn's article and and I also know Michigan has not made an administrator available to speak to this and Juwan Howard hasn't had to have a press conference yeah. since all this happened so we have no answers and and knowing how the media functions with the University of Michigan I'm sorry to say I don't expect there to be a lot of pressing on these points, which are worth getting answers to. Mm. My point here in all this is, if you know you've had a problem, you just had four guys sit out the previous game, and you know Michigan State is going to leave sometime in the late afternoon to come over to your school, why the hell are you waiting till nighttime to take your tests? Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why aren't you testing in the morning so if there is a, ne- a positive result and, and we get to the point that we got to, it's it's not coming out. Izzo says he was told at a quarter to 11. Word started filtering out on the Internet around midnight the night before the game. Why the hell are we going that late in the day? Why did Michigan State have to drive? And I've heard Michigan slap. He's, oh, it's a huge punishment driving an hour. Fuck mm. you. That's exposing everybody, excuse my language, but seriously, that's exposing everybody in Michigan State's traveling party to make an unnecessary trip. And yeah, you don't get that, to decide whether that's legitimate or not. They had to make it. It's stupid. Yeah. It's pointless. And they went through it. They went through a shoot around. They went through all that stuff. They went to their hotel. There's some level of risk involved with all of that, and it's a it's something that they're taking on and they're doing. But but you don't want to have to do it if you don't have to. They were they were made to do that for no good reason, mm. as best as I can tell. Unless the answer is, look, we tested in the morning, everybody was clean, we came back, this kid was exhibiting symptoms, we tested again. That's where the problem was identified. If that's the answer, okay then there's nothing else you could have done. But I'll tell you something. But they didn't – all they had – that's why I don't think that that's, that's the case. Because if that was the case, they would have just said that. Why wouldn't hmm. you just say that? You would think. You would think. You're right. And the other thing that comes into play here – and again, you can claim, oh, it doesn't matter as much as you want. But the fact is it does in terms of how people read this stuff. Mm-hmm. This program – has had a problem. This school, this athletic department, has had a problem with this stuff. They canceled two football games last year. Just flat out canceled them. And they were games against Ohio State and Iowa where everybody knew they were going to get blown off the field. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, but but look, fall, winter of 2020 is a different world than we're in now. So maybe you cut them slack. But they had... And I don't know all the particulars, but there was apparently a very controversial move in December around their hockey program where they played a game one night and canceled for the next night the same day against a good opponent. Um, So there is a track record here. Oh, and by the way, I'm not even mentioning the fact that they didn't play three games last basketball season. Mm -hmm. And that ended up being beneficial to them in winning an outright title. The University of Illinois has been furious about that for a year. Yeah. So you've got over and over and over these issues popping up at Michigan. You know, now again, I don't believe they looked at this and said, we've got to get out of this game no matter what we do. But the only motivation for doing that 
is if they thought it was an automatic that it would be rescheduled later in the year and their feeling was, look, we're better off kicking the can on this, give ourselves some time to get our shit together. Mm. I don't believe that because any anybody could have looked at the schedule and said, eh, this is really dicey mm-hmm. that this gets played because there's no obvious spot for it. So I, I they- don't believe that the, the, that Michigan – intentionally looked at this and said, we got to get out of this game. I don't think that, but I do think they've got very serious problems with how they're handling this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, and now it's impacting other schools. Michigan state made a trip. They didn't have to make, they wasted a day. They didn't have to waste, you know, and, and that's an excusable that to me screams lack of institutional competence. It really does. There's just no excuse for it. You know, and if you read kind of between the lines on the stuff that Howard was saying, I sort of get the impression that that maybe there was a way that they could have played that game, but at the last minute, after the point of no return, the Michigan brass kind of came down and put their finger on the scale and said no. That's what, kinda, what, is, what are you what are you what are you well because to? he had a, a a statement Howard had a statement that said um, that the powers that be have come together and unanimously decided when was this I didn't um, see that was this today no no this was um, th- this was pre before this all kind of went down it was um, Thursday I believe or no Friday oh and he okay. he said I, I you know the powers at B come down and and um, it just made it seem like it wasn't his decision so much as it was the the university. Oh, it it probably wasn't Juwan Howard's decision. Mm-hmm. I, again, I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not in this camp that says Michigan ginned this up. I think, according to whatever their protocols are. I'm gonna. I'm going to assume that this was legitimate, but that's not the. That doesn't solve the problem, right. because you one, you've got a problem with their protocols. Two, you might have a problem with them not requiring, if the protocols are the way it appears that they are, related to what's considered to be fully vaxxed. Then you potentially got a problem with well, why aren't they all boosted? Yeah, and, and then three. You've got this whole issue around how this actually unfolded and why Michigan State had to travel mm-hmm. and go to their gym. and go. I mean, Jesus Christ, they went in for a shoot-around after Michigan already knew they potentially had a problem and they put their players through testing. You, you don't, at that point, maybe say something? <laughs> yeah. Izzo, says the first, Izzo says the first he got wind of this was when Juwan Howard called him at 1045 that night. That's crazy. Well, that's a long time after 5.30 or whenever Michigan's practice ended. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing here? And, and that was the, the essence of Izzo's statement. He didn't put any blame on Jawan Howard. He talked about administration-level issues with communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how he phrased it. Uh, and I, I think that's accurate. Um, I, yeah, I don't think it was Jawan Howard's call. Again, I think Jawan Howard almost certainly realizes they need to play this game. Yeah. They need to have chances to beat good opponents. And if they, you know, that's the thing with people, 
I've seen a lot of Michigan State people today screaming about, well, they should forfeit it. Yeah, I'd be all for that too. But absent that, and, and, I, and I'm glad in, on balance that conferences went away from this. They had all gone to this forfeiture mode yep. that if you cancel a game, you forfeit, and then they've all gone away from it in the face of Omicron because it's not realistic. People no. are going to test positive. So I'm all for that. But the next best thing from my perspective as a Michigan State fan is don't play the game. Mm-hmm. Michigan State, what Michigan State has to gain in my opinion, is the rivalry win, which I don't discount, but in the greater scheme of things, it doesn't mean a hell of a lot, especially when you're going to have another chance, at least theoretically, to play them You know, on the 29th of January at Breslin. So it's not like we don't get Michigan at all this year. We just don't get the two games. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. I mean, Michigan right now, I don't right. think by the – I don't think by March – the Michigan win is, yeah, it probably would still be a quad one win, but I, we're not talking about a resume builder for you, really. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter. There's no upside for Michigan State, whereas for Michigan, there's there's only upside. They can't do themselves any harm by playing Michigan State. So screw them. There's one There's one caveat that I, or potential issue I could see with like a no contest. Um, and that would be, let's say Michigan state winds up with four losses on the, on the year and Illinois winds up yeah. with four losses. Well, then Illinois is going to be the champion. If, if they play go more by, games, you're right. By you're winning right. Percentage. But, but you know now, what? There is a, there is a caveat though, that they, that they put in the original COVID rules. It was like a section C that said if it was, uh, two or more teams and it, it really seemed like they were trying to address the situation that happened last year with Michigan is right. that if if one or two of the teams couldn't participate and it was deemed a no contest, um, if that game were to affect another uh, the standings in another way, it would be changed to a forfeit for whichever team couldn't couldn't make it. So that is what makes but, sense to me. Just make it a no contest. If it comes down to uh, it, but is that, it impacting but is that, standings, then it would get changed to a forfeit. Is, but is that section still applicable? Um, That's hard to say. The, with these changes that they've made recently? Because well, I looked at it, and so the initial policy, it, it's just broken down with A, B, and C. And the A is, is just what happens if one team is down, what happens if both teams are down, and then what happens if it impacts other teams. So then when they came out with the updated policy, it said uh, it basically just addressed – two of of the of the issues and it, it didn't it didn't leave it didn't mention anything about the c yeah and it was basically I, the update was that instead of just it being an automatic forfeit they would have to go to the league office and make their case um that they couldn't well but see evidence. but that okay but i'm wondering then because apparently the way this thing is working and quinn's article addressed this um what you have to do, the school that's got the issue, goes to the conference, presents whatever information they present, doesn't specify what, Yeah. and then the conference makes a ruling, and the conference has ruled that this is not a forfeit. Oh, so they've, they've already ruled. Okay. They've already ruled. So I don't think what you're talking about would apply. I'd have to... I'd have to read it to be quite honest. I haven't. I haven't read the section you're talking about. I do know 
what I just mentioned is in fact the case. And we've already crossed that Rubicon. The Big Ten already on Saturday morning made their ruling that, that Michigan had presented sufficient evidence to suggest that they were incapable of playing. And I, and I gather that it, it's also determined that this is not avoidable, not something they could have stopped, and, and therefore um, no forfeit. It's just declared a, a, a no contest for the time being with, with rescheduling pending. I, I hear you. To get to the bigger point you're making, though, I hear you on that. And, yeah, if we get to March and that ends up costing Michigan State a Big Ten title, we're all going to be irritated, obviously. Yeah. But I, I just at this stage, man, that's <laughs> that's way March, down the line. Yeah. If we get to March and the choice is play that extra game against Michigan, sandwich it into a very tight time frame. You know, Izzo, Izzo was of the belief that last year with the way that went. That had something to do with them getting beaten by UCLA in the play-in game. Mm. They just didn't have much left in the tank. Yeah. I don't want that. I would, to be honest, this is blasphemy, I'm sure, to some people, but I would sacrifice a shot at share of the Big Ten title um, to be in the best possible position for March. If I had to make that choice, if the gun is to your head, and you got to make that choice. And it, it sounded to me like that's where Izzo's at, based on the things he said today. He said he does not want to repeat what they had to go through last year. Mm. And, and I think that was a specifically targeted statement because the talk that I was hearing, while Quinn's article mentioned it, it was also coming from other sources, some people were throwing around dates in January and, and early February, but they didn't make sense. They were the turnarounds were too tight with other games so then you started to hear well maybe they could cram it in right at the tail end of the season and i think Izzo mentioning that in his press conference today the way i would interpret it is a shot across the bow of the big Ten, saying don't try it yeah i, I would i, mean, I don't if, if you have to do a back-to-back game i would i would say it's probably better just to have a no contest especially right. if it's late in the year just don't play it. Uh, you know, again, other than the scenario you're talking about, which is very much an unknown, th- other than that, there's really no downside for Michigan State, and there's only upside for Michigan. And, you know, I view upside for Michigan as a thing you want to avoid. Yeah, that's so, that's the one thing that out of everything has to happen. It's right. I want them to bear the brunt of the consequence from this, you know, that's what, that's what I think matters here. And if it is a no contest, they do believe me, they do. I know there are people out there that are convincing themselves. No, no, no. They don't want to play the tough games. They just figured they're going to go on a run. It won't matter. They have to beat good teams, period. Mm. There is no other path for them because their non-conference performance was so terrible that they don't have anything on their resume from November and December that helps them. And I'll also note the Big Ten this year, while still pretty good at the top, does not have the depth that yeah. it had a year ago. So you are not – that's not to say that, you know, they're they're not mostly quad one games. They are. But you don't have enough opportunities – 
for the highlight wins. I mean, Michigan State reeled off three top five wins yeah. in those last couple weeks of the season. Plus, they beat in, they swept Indiana, right? Yeah, Remember they lost one. They lost. They lost. They won the first one, then lost the second one. Okay, all right. But they beat Indiana too, who was considered a bubble team at the time. So they they racked up some big wins. Yeah. In that stretch, those games just don't exist in the same way in the Big Ten this year. Not 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 in the same amount. I mean, right now you've probably got. I would say you've got four Big Ten teams in the top 15 with Purdue, Illinois, Michigan State, and now Wisconsin, I think, has entered that discussion. Now make yeah. it five because Ohio State's probably in there too. So five teams, but that's really it. After that, there is no middle class. Yeah. You know, and so that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a big problem for Michigan if you've already now taken – two of those opportunities with Michigan State and Purdue. And, hey, who the hell knows about Illinois? I think they're supposed to play Illinois on it's either Friday or Saturday. Fr- Friday, I believe. Friday. And so who knows? Does that game get canceled? Don't know. Um, You know, this is, this is a big, 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 big problem for Michigan. And that's fine. From where I sit, okay, that's enough of a sanction for them for, for this having happened that I can live with it. Mm. I, and I'm saying this. I look. I had tickets. Man. I was, I was <laughs> yeah. excited to be. That it's sucks. been a while since I've been to a game at Chrysler. Um, actually, it's been a long time. Um, but uh, I was really, really looking forward to it. And um, you know, so I, I'm right there with anybody who feels kind of jobbed about this, but with a little bit of distance from it and having some time to think all these angles through on balance. My position today is unless there were some way to play it with Michigan state, not being disadvantaged. And I don't see that then screw it. Don't play it. Hmm. Okay. Well, any, anything else on that? That no, I think we, I think we covered it. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you. My outlook today was much different than it was on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I just I couldn't wrap my head around. It's like so what? Five more people got COVID? I'm like trying to do the math in my head. It's like, well, if four went out, two went came back. You don't have Zeb Jackson, but that's okay. So that's three I, out. That's I got ten. I, I got to tell you, man. I've gone through the math on this because apparently. Um, they have 14 scholarship players, counting Zeb Jackson, um, because Eli Brooks is taking a COVID year, so that's an extra guy. Oh, uh, I Jason, missed that. Yeah. So, so Zeb Jackson takes you to 13. Then you have three more guys go off, which take you to 10. And then we've got this positive test and the two close contacts well, that gets you to seven, which is supposed to be the minimum. So I, what, what I have to assume is that Quinn was not able to get the full story of how they were calculating this. Mm. Because I, I've done the same thing. I've gone through it and tried to piece together based on the little bit of information that we have. How did they get to five? And I can't determine it. 
I can't get there. Not with yeah. what's been reported. Part of the problem here, and another thing, is part of the problem is we're left guessing. Yeah. And I get that you have privacy concerns, blah, blah, blah. Okay, don't identify the players involved by name. But you, you need to tell people. And first of all, many programs have not had that problem. Michigan State didn't have that problem. No. You know, and then they Everybody told people knew. who it was. You know, knowing that they had a game to play and that these kids obviously weren't going to be in uniform, so people were going to know anyway. But they disclosed it. So I don't see what, personally, I do not see what the big deal is. If we're, we ought to be passed as a society, although I know some people aren't, uh, uh, attaching a moral element to the idea of, of contracting a respiratory virus. It's always struck me as bizarre, but especially now. Mm. So that's not a concern, but whatever. You don't have to. You don't want to give us names, fine. But walk people through the particulars, because when you don't, you just leave these questions out there. And, and what ends up happening is you end up having people reacting to it the way that they have. The entire Big Ten Conference, truthfully or not, is going to go, I would venture, I know for sure in East Lansing on the 29th, there's going to be a lot of Howard the Ducks oh, yeah. in the crowd. And and you know the Illinois people, that game is in Champaign this coming weekend. You think they're not going to go to town with it with how pissed off they were with what happened last year? It's going to be everywhere. And, and I understand that for a lot of people, even the truth won't stop that. But I don't see how you do yourself harm by being at least a little more transparent about how this situation spiraled to where it was where you couldn't play, mm -hmm. you know? I know, you know, I've seen people speculate that if it was in fact Dickinson, that that was the thing that ultimately determined this and that they decided, well, even if we've got seven, we're going to say we don't because we can't play without Hunter. Uh, you know, I, again, I don't think that that was the case, but Michigan as an institution, as an athletic department, has put itself in a position where they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt from anybody. Exactly, yeah. And that's really what it's about. They used that up last year for basketball. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and yet they're still having this happen. You know, mm. As I said, the hockey program just had it happen. People were outraged. But not enough people care about college hockey, so it wasn't that big a story. Mm. It was in that world. And people who pay attention to Big Ten hockey, it absolutely was. I had heard about it. It came back into the mix around all this stuff. But, you know, you get this reputation. I don't see how that's a positive for you. Just come clean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the, the only thing I can suspect is that they there was probably maybe technically a way that they could have played that game. But they looked at it and said, especially if Dickinson was out, they just said to themselves, we can't, we're not going to even be competitive. There's just we would be better off trying to legislate this through uh, the league and hopefully get a reschedule or a, or a no or a no contest would benefit us better I, than than knowing we're going to well, get beat a, if they're a, rolling out like no Jace contest, Howard. Yeah, but a, a no contest does not if it's not rescheduled, it does not benefit you. You you would be better off going out there with five managers. Yeah, because at least in theory you would have a chance. Yeah. You know, I mean, when that's you don't what I would play, think. 
when you don't play, you've already lost. That's the thing that I think a lot of Michigan State people haven't fully digested, is that not playing the game, if that's what happens, that is a loss for Michigan. Mm -hmm. That is how you have to think about it, because it's the truth. They need the opportunities. So even if they were down Dickinson, you still play it. Yeah. Because you've still got a chance at a miracle. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that play, would be my. Already lost. That, well, that would certainly be my. Uh, and I think Michigan State, anyone who watches the program, that's kind of the philosophy. I, I, I just right. don't think they think that way. It might not be. And, and, and the, the, best, the best possible justification for the intentional duck is the one that you mentioned, which is that they felt like they didn't have a chance to line up and win given who was affected. And so the thinking was, let's get this thing postponed. We'll get it rescheduled and we have a better opportunity to match up. That's possible. I can't rule out that, that that's their thought process. If it was, it was heavily, heavily flawed, though. Mm-hmm. Because, again, all you had to do was look at the schedule and also figure that, look, Tom Izzo and Alan Haller are just not, they are not going to be amenable to bending over backward to help you. Yeah, right. Nor should they. Not you know I'll go back to my statement earlier in the in the uh, our discussion here. Game was scheduled. Michigan State showed up as scheduled. Michigan canceled it. That's it. The end. Boom. That's it. Yeah. Nothing more. Rescheduling. Nope. Sorry, doesn't work, guys. We don't play now. You had your chance. We were here. We were ready to go. You weren't. Okay. That's that's the way life goes. Mm-hmm. You know. And if Michigan thought. And, and who knows? We're talking like this. Maybe it does get rescheduled. I would say this. The odds of this game getting rescheduled are probably better than a normal game because of the you know the, the rivalry distance. and all that. There yeah. would be more impetus. But I don't think, again, piecing the, the scheduling bit together with what Izzo said today, 10%. 10%. I'll stick to that number. 10% chance this gets played. Okay, well, the one that we hope was going to get played here, uh, Minnesota coming up. Um, of course, we already beat them once, uh, but they're 10-3 and three coming in overall, 1-3 in the league. Um, they lost to uh, Indiana, and before that, um, they got beat fairly bad. Um, was that Illinois, I think? Um, yeah, but, Illinois crushed them. But since then, they did go to Michigan and beat them. Um you know, it's they they haven't lost any games that you look at and say, well, they should have got that one. And they've got some wins that maybe they shouldn't have got. So all in all, it looks like Ben Johnson's off to a fairly good start, I would think. Yeah, it is. Certainly compared to expectations, there's yeah. no question. Um, I You know, the one game they've played where they were just totally outclassed was the one you mentioned against Illinois and Minneapolis, where Illinois just went in and ripped them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Michigan State. Michigan State. The the score flattered them a little bit because MSU had a nineteen point lead in the second half and yeah. then screwed around and Minnesota hit some threes and got it down to eight by the end. It really was not that close. But but again, those are 
you're talking maybe the two best, certainly two of the best teams in the conference. That's If you've been told before the season started that was what was going to happen in those two games, you wouldn't have batted it nine. Mm-hmm. Um, the win at Michigan was a good one for them. Any road win's good. And then, you know, they ended up, it, it, the margin ended up getting pushed out a little bit late against IU, but they were in that game. They were they were they had a lead with God, it was under eight to play. I know that. They Minnesota had the lead and they just kind of faded a little bit. Indiana made some plays and, and won it. But there's no there's no shame in losing in Bloomington. So Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you would say right now one and three start doesn't look great on paper, but the way they've played has been respectable. Mm-hmm. Um, they're gonna need to obviously get into a part of the schedule where they can play some teams, you know, if they start playing, you know, the Rutgers, the Penn States, the Northwesterns, the Nebraskas, these kind of teams, that's where the rubber's really going to hit the road in terms of what, where this Minnesota team settles in. Are they, are they going to actually end up being a middle of the pack team or are they going to be more toward the bottom? Those are the games that will determine it. Mm -hmm. So, they come into this one 86th in, in Ken Palm overall, um, but they had to climb them, themselves out of a really deep hole coming into the season. They were like 119 to start. Um, 101 on offense, 66 on defense, um, and they continue to excel in limiting turnovers, six in the country. Um, it's, the, it's the one thing they really do well. Yeah. And we, we had this discussion, and I think they are um, – in contrast with Michigan State, and I think they are a prime example of this um, this theory that has been really dawning on me this year, which is you have a better chance of holding your turnover numbers down the more minutes your group plays together. And by that, I mean teams with tight rotations, mm-hmm. I think have a better chance of posting low turnover numbers than teams that play a lot of people. Um, and Minnesota, as we know, one of the one of the lowest amount of bench minutes in the country. I mean, they're right down near the bottom. And so even though a lot of their guys are new, four of their five starters are, are new this year, weren't on the roster last year, and the sixth man is new as well, uh, the fact that these guys are playing all the minutes, it's it's just those guys playing, mm-hmm. that helps. Yeah. And it's kept them afloat because they don't really do anything else exceptionally well, but when you don't kick the ball around, you're at least getting chances to score, and so you can maybe be a little less efficient with your shooting and still have it add up to a positive. That's been the equation for them. Mm-hmm. So they're shooting 34% from three. Um 71% from the line. They're 117th in the country in twos. Um, but they, yeah. don't get, they don't get to the free throw line much either. Right. And all of that, it, right. And, and and when you watch them play, you understand this. This is a heavy jump shooting team. Hmm. This is not a team with a lot of guys. They they don't have a great, you know, dominant post-up threat. They don't have a lot of guys, you know, going hell-bent to get to the rim. It's a lot of jump shooting. So no surprise they don't get to the line a ton. And then their shooting numbers are just kind of mediocre. They're not horrible, and they've certainly got some guys. Look, Willis, Battle, and Stevens 
are all guys that have shown enough as three-point shooters that, you know, you have to be cognizant of them. They're the kind of guys, particularly Willis in battle, that in any given game, you could see that player getting hot enough to carry them and keep them in it. Mm -hmm. So they've got those kind of players, but as a group, it's not a great shooting team. They're okay. Yeah. Uh, They are not a, a good offensive rebounding team, however. Almost dead last in the country, 358. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're just terrible there. Mm. And it's, it's, I I don't think it's because Ben Johnson doesn't value offensive rebounding. I, you know, knowing his, his background, I would expect that eventually they'll emphasize it more than they are with this group. Yeah. Just a couple things at a time here. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't, he just doesn't have the personnel. You know, they're very small. And if you're going to try to rebound offensively, you're probably going to pick up more foul trouble. He wants to avoid that, and he has, because he doesn't want to have to extend his bench. Mm -hmm. So it all kind of ties together. And I also think he figures with this group, he's, you know, even if he went full tilt, what are the odds that they're going to be a good offensive rebounding team with, with what they've got physically? Yeah. out there probably not great so are you better off just not even just kind of surrendering in that area and just prioritizing floor balance getting back and making opponents have to go against you in the half court and that's what he's chosen to do mm-hmm. uh so on defense they've done a good job defending without fouling, um and their percent from three is good um and they limit their the three attempts yeah which is weird considering that they're a team that they're not exclusively zone, but they play a lot of it. Um, I, I give them credit. I'm, I, I've seen this equation with some other teams that Michigan State's played. I'm, I'm not sure that it'll hold up against Michigan State, yeah. um, but th- that's what they've done thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a particularly good defensive rebounding team either at 97, um, and they play yeah. slow, 262. Yeah, I mean it's all the look the the equation for Minnesota has been um, don't make mistakes on offense. Make sure that we have at least an opportunity to get a shot up, mm-hmm. and then defensively, um, you know let's let's try to avoid getting bombed by opponents from deep. Um, let's try to at least be halfway decent at ending possessions one shot mm-hmm. and they've been that uh and play the game slowly both both offense and defense a lot of teams in the big 10 you see contrast where you teams like michigan state northwestern where offensively they're playing very fast but their average length of time on a defensive possession is fairly long and that's because those teams play good half-court defense mm-hmm. minnesota is in the mid 200s both sides very close so they just they're they're slower games with them. There's just that's just how it is, and that's the right way to go with this team, I think. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say that. Um, just slow it down and and try to get as give them as least amount of attempts as possible. That's right, because the greater the number of attempts, generally speaking, uh, the more opportunity there is for superior talent to win out, mm. and they are not going to have a talent advantage very often yeah uh so then 
Peyton Willis, six four senior, uh, he's shooting. He's up to fifteen point eight points a game, forty eight, forty two, and fifty six from the line. Uh, also grabbing four four point seven rebounds. Yeah, and he's the top assist guy, a little under four a game, about a two to one ratio assist to turnover. You know, solid player. Just to remind people, uh, he had been at Minnesota. I think he started at Vanderbilt, transferred to Minnesota transferred to College of Charleston, and then transferred back to Minnesota. So he's been at Minnesota under two different coaches that in two insane. different stints with a year in between. Uh, much more productive player this time around than the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, he's, a, he's a dangerous player. You know, his shooting, his three-point shooting has dipped a little bit since the first time. First time Michigan State played him, I think he was up around 45. What is he at now? 42. Yeah, okay. So he's, he's dipped a little bit. Um, but he's a dangerous he's a dangerous player because uh, he's one of those guys that um, really can pull it from anywhere. Uh, not that Minnesota is prone to taking quick shots, but he's he's a guy that you just have to be cognizant of at all times because he doesn't need a lot of time to load up and shoot. So dangerous dangerous player and, and has been solid for them all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Luke Lowe, 6'4", senior transfer from William & Mary, uh, averaging seven points a game on 36, 25, and 75. Yeah, he's, he's gotten a little bit hotter from three because he was down in the first game. I think he's down around 16%, so he's all the way up to 25. Mm. Uh, he's one of those, I call them try-hard guys, you know, guy, effort guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll kind of throw his body around. He plays hard. Uh, he had been a good shooter at William and Mary. It just has not translated to the Big Ten level just yet. Um, but you know, a lot of experience. He came to Minnesota having started 80 games in his career. So this is a guy who's played a lot of college basketball. Not necessarily a lot of basketball at this level, but he's played a lot of D1 basketball. Mm-hmm. And again, I think you can look at him and say, well, there are limitations, and I'd certainly agree with that. But Probably given what the options were for Ben Johnson once he got this job, you know, this is a kind of guy that made sense for him. Yeah. And he keeps the ball moving. I mean, he's got yep. uh, second in assists with 37, true. only 14 turnovers. True, true. Yeah, he's been a good secondary playmaker for them as well. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Uh, Jameson Battle, 6'7". This guy put up some numbers against Michigan State last time. Uh, 6'7", 225, sophomore transfer from George Washington. Um, 18.2 points a game, 48, 35, and 79. Yeah, and he's their second leading rebounder, too, uh, better than six a game. He's their best player. Yeah. And and he's really, you know, I, it's, I'm not the originator of this by any means, but I've seen Minnesota's roster this year described as mid-major all-stars, by which, I mean, they, they, they got a lot of guys in the portal who had been at mid-majors, and, you know, that's what they're rolling out to try and compete with in the Big Ten. And thus far, it's been okay. Mm-hmm. Battle is the one guy, even more than Willis, because Willis is a senior. So you would expect, you know, his experience would be such that that helps him. But but Battle is the guy that legitimately, I think you look at and say, well, this was just a miss by high major programs coming out of high school, mm-hmm. you know. And and he was at George Washington. So the A ten is is really a mid major plus, 
that's somewhere in between what we usually mean by mid majors and then the the high major conferences mm-hmm. you know um but he was really good at George Washington. He's from Minneapolis, so he was coming <laughs> home. That's why I mean that he was a miss. Yeah, he was their miss. <laughs> and there's been a lot, man. There's been a lot of that. You know, people. I could go on, and I have gone on and on in the past uh, about Minnesota. The biggest problem is that's a state that has actually improved. I would say over the last twenty, twenty-five years as a talent producer, but Minnesota as a program has kept relatively few of those guys at home. And people usually focus on the big names like, Oh, they didn't get either of the Jones brothers or, you know, um, they didn't get going way back. Khalid El Amin or, you know, there've been mm-hmm. lots of guys who were stars that they didn't get. Okay. That's, that's true. But the bigger problem is they've missed on a ton of guys like battle that they lost to programs that they should have been able to beat easily yeah. in recruiting. So it's been a comprehensive problem for Minnesota, not just that they can't get the high, the highest-level guys. It's been a bigger deal than that. But they got lucky here. They got battled back, and he's played very, very well for them. I'm impressed with him. I think he's, you know, he's, a, I think he's got sophomore eligibility, so he's probably going to be around a couple more years, and I think he's going to be a pain in the ass for people because – he could score pretty much any way you want it. Mm-hmm. He's not a post player, but he's strong enough and big enough that he can get things done inside. He's got a decent off the dribble game and he shoots well enough that he's at you know, 35% from three that he's, he's a threat. Uh, Michigan state did a pretty good job on him in the first game. I think he ended up with 17, but if I remember correctly, I don't have the box score in front of me. Uh, I don't think he shot all that well. He hit some shots late. As I recall, he was part of that run they had, which made it look a little more respectable. But when the game was really there in the balance, Michigan State did a pretty good job defensively on him. Yeah, 17 um, points, um, two for six um, on two pointers, three for eight and three. Uh, yeah, and he hit, and some of those threes he hit, um, he hit late. Mm-hmm. They they were not great shots, they, and they just happened to fall. But but by and large on the season, battle is legit. I mean, he's he's a very good player. I think he could fit in pretty much anywhere in this conference. Yeah, because he had eight boards in that game, two two blocks. Yep. So yeah, he's playing pretty big. He's, for... a good, he's a good player. Yeah. Uh, so EJ Stevens, six three senior transfer from Lafayette, averaging ten point eight points a game, forty four forty and seventy four from the line. Yeah, uh, mostly a perimeter guy. He's slowed down a little bit since the first meeting as a three-point shooter, but his numbers are still pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, they had to get guys who were able to play at this level. And, you know, other than Battle and Willis, they're not really getting stars, but Stevens is a pretty decent addition given what they had available to them. Uh, and then Eric Curry, 6'9", senior, averaging 7.9 points a game and a, leads the team in rebounding at 6.8. Um, shooting 43 from the floor, hasn't hit a three-pointer yet, um, 81 from the line. Yeah, he had, uh, might have been a career-high game. It was definitely a season-high, 18 points in the first game. Izzo spoke to that today, and he said, look, some of it was him playing well, but some of it was the way that Michigan State elected to defend Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So in other words, they were they were kind of putting their their five men on something of an island 
and not providing much in the way of help uh, in order to stay with shooters, I think, was the was what he was getting at in a very general way. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, Curry, Curry is, I mentioned this before the first game, he's a, he's a good story because this is a guy who had a lot more horsepower when he got to Minnesota than he does now. They just had season after season of terrible injury luck. And the fact that he's even back playing, he was a, the original plan is I think he was going to be a grad assistant with oh. his team. And they ended up, he was healthy enough and they needed him and they felt like, you know, well, let's give it another go. And it's thus far, it's worked out really, really well. And so it's always good to see guys that have gone through a lot, be able to end their careers on their terms. That's kind of like with MSU with Josh Langford last year, right? Yeah where he wasn't the player he had been at a younger stage in his career. But he was still productive. He was still a key part of that team. And he ended it on his terms, not anybody else's. Mm-hmm. And that's I kind of feel the same way about Curry. So good for him that he's out there playing. And they, God, if they didn't have him, I don't know where they'd be. <laughs> yeah. Because he's they, the only size they've got. Yeah. Uh, coming off the bench, they only, I mean, maybe three guys, if that. Sean Sutherland, um, 6'5", senior transfer from New Hampshire, um, 7.7 points a game, 53 from the floor, 65 from the line in 19 minutes. Yeah, just um, he's the guy who by far is playing the most, and it's 19 minutes. Uh, can't shoot. He's just not a jump shooter at all, um, but an energy guy, and he can do some things around the basket, kind of some penetration stuff. Um, but you know, basically he's it. Mm-hmm. And really the only other big guy they have, Charlie Daniels, six, nine, two thirty. Um, but he, I mean, he's only getting 11 minutes a game, just under two points, uh, about a rebound and a half. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's basically just get him in there for a few minutes to, to spot curry and that's really about it that's all you're asking you're not even really asking or expecting much production yeah uh, and then will ramberg six five freshman averaging four minutes well add yeah depth and that's about all there's to say. <laughs> he's a it. freshman yeah then you know you just it's it is what it is we, we said this before the first game nothing's changed since then this team is right at the bottom nationally in terms of bench minutes so it's Sutherland, and that's kind of about it for that bench. So you're going to see Ironmen. You're going to see all these guys in their starting lineup playing, you know, 35 minutes. It's going to be that, you know, 33, 34, 35. Uh, it's going to be that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first key is turnovers. Um, in the first game, gosh, Minnesota only had three turnovers. Michigan State had 13. Um yeah, which is not terrible by MSU standards, but it was still a 10-turnover margin. Yeah. And that's the problem. You can figure that Minnesota's unlikely to commit very many. I mean, that's just who they've been this year. I, you know, maybe, it, to me, a big turnover number for them would be like eight. Uh-huh. So you're, you're just not going to see a lot of them. Uh, Michigan State, obviously, since getting back into conference play, has had an issue with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minnesota, like a lot of Big Ten teams, is not going to get out there and pressure you and try to force you into making mistakes. But we know for Michigan State that hasn't really been necessary for opponents to do. In fact, 
I think they're, you know, sometimes at their worst when they're not being pressured. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way to allow Minnesota to hang around in this thing is to just have a big, big gap in this area. Just give them many, many more chances to score. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to talk about rebounding. That's an area where you would expect Michigan State could maybe make up some of the difference here. But you want to minimize that that difference in turnovers. That's that's critical. Mm. Uh, and then zone offense. Um, Malik Hall had a really nice game against them the first time. 15 points, 4 for 5 yep. from the floor, 2 for 4 from 3. Yeah, um, you know, Minnesota, they're not exclusively a zone team, but they play a lot more of it than you see around most of the rest of the league. And the reason for that is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. As we've been talking about, they just don't have any depth. So they've got to keep these guys on the floor. And one way to do that is play zone. It's going to, you hope, minimize the wear and tear on them, but it's also going to hopefully minimize the fouls that you commit. And so that's the way that Johnson is approaching it. Uh, They've somehow been able to limit teams really going to town on them from three. Um, Michigan State shot the three, as I recall, pretty well in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, 47%. Yeah. Um, uh, Thus far, when Michigan State has seen zone, they've tended to play pretty well against it. That doesn't mean they've been perfect, but I would say on balance, they've been pretty damn good Hmm. with this group in attacking zones. And part of the reason for that is you mentioned Malik Hall. They've got a really good option as a guy you can stick into that, that gap area and use. And that's really always the key is you got to get the ball into the gaps because that's what forces the defense to contract and should allow you open shots, either jump shots or at the rim sometimes. Uh, You need a guy who's calm and can be a true triple threat. Could be a a guy who can go off the dribble if that's there, can hit a jumper from 15 feet, or can make the right pass. And Malik Hall can do all of those things. So they've got the right guy in that role. And then you're surrounding him with a team that's whatever they are. I think they were 11th last time I looked in the country in three-point shooting. Mm. So that that's a big deal. Yeah, you know that they've got guys all around the perimeter, and you know we've we've talked about it. You've had guys who have been consistent all year long. You know, Hall's one of them. Uh, Walker is one of them. Uh, obviously, Gabe Brown, not just the percentage, but the volume. You know, it was a 40% shooter with heavy volume. That's a mm-hmm. big deal. Uh, but now you've got guys like Max Christie, who's all the way up to 35%. Joey Hauser's coming around. These other guys are starting to come into play as well and round into form. Jade Nakins has been decent, at least, mm-hmm. shooting three. They just they don't have a lot of guys who aren't threats. And that's tough for a zone to deal with especially when you've got a team that can pass the ball as well as this Michigan State team does. So you watch them sometimes against zones, and the way the ball whips around from side to side is exactly it's textbook zone offense. Mm-hmm. They, need, they need to exhibit that in this game. They need to be sharp because they're going to see some zone. I have no doubt about it. 
they need to execute it. And then ideally what you really want to do is you want to be so good against it that you force Minnesota to do something they don't want to do, which is to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then boards. Um, we already mentioned Minnesota, one of the worst offensive rebounding teams yeah. in the country. Um, on the other end, MSU's 39th in offensive rebounding while uh, they surrender 26.3% uh, offensive rebounding to their opponents. Yeah, they're they're a decent, little better than average defensive rebounding team, but Michigan State has become a very good offensive rebounding team. Not elite, but very good. Mm. Um, my only hesitation in this is we've had a couple of experiences lately where teams have come in with poor offensive rebounding numbers on the season and have still gotten the job done against Michigan State. I don't think that'll happen here, but – I can't, you know, it's, it's an area Michigan State has to win. So they can't allow Minnesota to get a bunch of cheapy second chances. That would be a disaster. Then on the other end, you know, again, if we assume that Minnesota is going to have some advantage in the turnover department, you need to flip that around in terms of second chances on re, uh, via rebounding. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, that's what you want to see from Michigan State. Whatever Minnesota's advantages and turnovers, you want to have an equal advantage on the boards. Uh, and then the fourth key, tempo. Yeah, it, it's look, it's not going to be easy to play fast because Minnesota is going to do everything they can to keep this a slow-paced game. But um, this Michigan State team has been successful pretty much against everybody. I can't think – I'm trying to think – of a game where an opponent really successfully just imposed their will and Michigan state never got the game to be played at a faster pace. That I don't mean for 40 minutes, but I mean, at least in spots. Yeah. Uh, there hasn't anybody that had to kind of ground them down yet. Like a whiskey. Yeah. I, I guess maybe the most successful would be like a Loyola, you know, and that, I don't think that game was really, really glacially pay, played. Mm. So, you would you would think Michigan State is still going to get some chances here, you know, and they're at home too, and that always seems to help. Uh, but I, I think it's important that as much as they can, they get the game ramped up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then wear them down. You know, we had this as a point in the last one, and it did not come to pass. In fact. Minnesota, as we've talked about, kind of made it look a little closer by hitting some shots late. Michigan State was a little bit careless and just just not as focused uh, in the end game, which is the opposite of what you would have figured. You would figure a team that's playing as many minutes as Minnesota, you know, the last 10 minutes or so, Michigan State's going to be fresher. They're going to wear them down. I think part of what's helped Minnesota is, one, they're used to doing it. Two, we're not so late in the season that it's really – accumulated like by by march i think it's going to be a really tough spot yeah for minnesota to be in no matter how much pace they've controlled or it's just going to be hard but right now they're they're not quite at that point yet um but i still think this is something that could show up in this game and it probably depends in part on number four how fast they were able to get the game how many times they were forcing Curry and Battle to really run hard up the floor with, you know, with Bainham or Hall or, or Hauser. You know, how much they really take out of these guys 
you know, and even in the half court, how much they make them move. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. It would be really advantageous on two levels to execute against that zone. One, because if you're executing, you're scoring. So that's good in and of itself. But the other thing is the better you are, the quicker they will have to be to get out of it. Yeah. And, and that's, you really want them in man. You want them having a move. You know, and if they can do that, if Michigan State can make them do that successfully, then hopefully the last eight minutes, ten minutes, that is where Michigan State can kind of put the hammer down and pull away. Mm. We we've seen in these two games, I would argue, really since Christmas, Michigan State's had early in the year. It seemed to me, and and correct me if you think differently, but it seemed to me that Michigan State was getting off to really strong starts. And then we would see maybe the second half, they just kind of tread water or sometimes even let the opponent back in a little bit. Whereas lately it's been the opposite. I mean, they were, they were down considerably at Northwestern um, down what, as much as 13, I think in the first, late in the first half um, and down seven at the break. And then the Nebraska game, you know, not that there was a massive difference, but I think, you know, the first half of that game was not played particularly sharply, and they were a little better in the second. So we'll hope that this the last eight minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, ends up being a big positive for Michigan State, and that they just kind of got Minnesota dragging a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this one's uh, 7 o'clock Wednesday on the Big Ten Network. Um any final thoughts on this one? No, uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, maybe one more, uh, just tidbit for uh, for our listeners. I don't know. I would assume at least some of our listeners got a chance over the weekend to see uh, the latest Michigan State commitment, Jeremy Fierce, the six-one point guard playing at uh, La Lumiere. Yeah, um, they were on ESPN all weekend. They were part of an event. Uh, in Indiana that they played. And I, I got to see him play twice against Oak Hill Academy in a win and then against Montverde from Florida in a loss, who's the number one ranked team in the country. But um, very impressive. Nice. Uh, showed, I mean, this is a kid who's, he competes and plays hard, both ends. Um, he's athletic. He's a, as a as athletic as advertised, but the thing I like about him is he, and he's a high school junior. Let's remember that he doesn't come <laughs> to East Lansing next year. It's a year after that. Mm-hmm. So he's still young, but he does something that is not all that common. Normally guys, especially at his age that are really athletic, they rely on that athleticism so much that they don't always play under control. Mm-hmm. He does both. Like he can blow by people, but he plays a very steady, controlled game. I mean, I saw him against Oak Hill, and Oak Hill had like maybe had two kids going to Duke and one to Kentucky. Um, you know, high-level guys. And Lalomir ran them out of the building, basically. Really controlled that game, and Fears was the reason why. And he was just – he would use his speed to get into the lane and then use his body to kind of create space for himself – to usually to get a passing angle for somebody. I think he had 12 points and eight assists in the game, but he was very, very impressive game. And then Montverde, they lost. They were competitive in it, 
he didn't do as much in the way of scoring, but he still ran his team very well. They had a, a kid, um, Sky Clark, who's a high-level guy coming back from injury, who was going to Kentucky. So he faced some higher-level kids and held up extremely well, especially considering that he's younger than them. Yeah. Um, these guys I'm talking about that were opponents are guys who are going to be in college next year, not not in Fears class. Mm-hmm. So all in all, uh, really impressed with him. He just he has kind of that it factor. You could see he's a leader mm-hmm. and he takes that seriously. Um, I'm not ready to put him in this class by any means, but I have seen in recent days, especially people comparing him to Mateen Cleaves. And he's not Mateen Cleaves, definitely not pre-injury Mateen Cleaves, because pre-injury Mateen Cleaves was all world. We never saw that at Michigan State, mm. by the way. But but the, I, I get the comparison in that he's a guy who looks like he could be kind of a vocal leader. He's fast, but yet he's also physically strong, so he's got kind of a, the best of both worlds. Like Mateen, maybe not a great jump shooter, but passable. Mm. and uh and great great instinct and vision that's where i think it really shows up i think he's going to be dynamite in in two areas for sure at michigan state i think he's going to be a really good defensive player i saw enough to suggest that and then i think he's going to be lethal in michigan state's transition game this is the kind of kid i can't wait to see as the trigger man on Mm. michigan state's break His team does not run the break the way Michigan State does, but you see enough in him that it's easy, I think, to project out and say, wow, this guy with the kind of talent he'll be surrounded by and Michigan State system and being coached by Michigan State staff, look out. So really, really, really impressive. And, you know, again, Michigan State adding another ball handler. They'll have Trey Holloman joining the team next year, who I'm also very bullish on. Mm -hmm. Um, And the guys they've already got. You know, A.J. Hogard, Jay Nakins, we'll see about Tyson Walker, mm-hmm. how long he's there. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's point guard is in good hands, I think. <laughs> that's that's refreshing. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll leave it at that, and then um, we'll, we'll get back with everybody after the game. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. <laughs> For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.